It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Hello, I'm Simon Hughes, and this is The Analyst Inside Cricket, and we're celebrating a great week for cricket generally, for the neutral anyway, to see that West Indies side turn round an extraordinary performance at Edgbaston when they lost 19 wickets in a day. To win and chase 320 at Headingley was just a wonderful thing for the, for the world of cricket. I'm not even sure necessarily they thought coming into this game they could turn things around. What they did talk about was a much improved performance. They couldn't get any worse than Edgbaston. It was a, a dire performance, beaten in three days, 19 wickets in the day. And we're going to hear from West Indies batting coach Toby Radford on how they turn things around. I wonder if there's ever been a, a more dramatic turnaround in the world of sport. You know, In a way, losing 19 wickets in a day and that terrible innings defeat where they barely scored more in two innings than Alistair Cook managed in one at Edgbaston to suddenly win a game, one of the highest ever run chases at Headingley, their first win away for I don't know how long, their first win in England for, what is it, 17 years? Yeah, first win in England for 17 years. It's the second highest run chase at Headingley, the third highest in England. West Indies' fourth away win in 20 years, if you exclude Bangladesh and Zimbabwe, who traditionally have been quite weak. Their fourth away win in 20 years. That's in, in 88 test matches, and they've lost 67 of those. I mean, no, no one really gave them a chance after what happened at Edgbaston. No, and it was like they'd lost 5-0 at Edgbaston, or even worse, really, 6-7-0. And then to come here and, OK, so take a first-innings lead, substantial first-innings lead of 160-odd, which sort of puts them 3-1 up. But then England get that massive score in the second innings, so they've now struck back to sort of 5-3 in, in ahead if in, in football terminology. And then, you know, they get three goals back at the end and win 6-5. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, what about the declaration? Trevor Bayliss said afterwards, England coach, England lost that match in the first two days. Well, well, they didn't lose the, the match in the first two days because on the fourth evening, they were ahead of the game and they decided to declare. 
I think it was a good declaration, honestly. I, I think they needed a bit of time. In fact, I think I would have declared a bit earlier. Uh, maybe had eight overs in, in the evening session. When you've got a, a team out there on their knees, being out there in the field for a, nearly a day, or you know, a day and a half, actually, as it turned out, you just want to grind your uh, momentum, your initiative home by getting the new ball out with weary batsmen and knock a couple of over. So I would have said, declare 10 minutes earlier than Joe Root did. I thought it was a, a very good declaration. It didn't work out because they didn't get an early wicket, but the, the, the premise was absolutely right. And, and to go back to the, to the Trevor Bayliss comment, I think what he probably meant to say was that England didn't play very well for the first two days and obviously were 169 in arrears. But I don't think they really lost the game. Funnily enough, I think one of the reasons they lost the game is they, they, they caught badly, didn't they? they? Alistair Cook dropped two catches today. And they had a lot of things go their way, England. I added up the drop catches from the first innings, West Indies, West Indies in the field, 236 runs it cost them. That's massive. England, uh, by contrast, it cost them, I think, 139, their drops, in West Indies' first innings. But if you then add... The misses that, that happened today probably just about evened up. And in England, you'd hope, would have fielded a bit better than that. So the combination of probably not fielding that well, batting a little bit poorly in the first innings, and the excellence of the West Indies batting today was the reason why they lost. Well, I must be in a minority of one, because I've heard lots of pundits saying it was, it was an excellent declaration. I remember, I said at the time, I don't think England should have declared. I think when you come back from behind, as England did, and get 300 and whatever it was ahead, 321 runs ahead, you don't give the opposition a sniff. You, you, you make sure that you get 350, 360. You, you, you bat them out of the game. I, mean, I don't think you, you dangle a carrot or anything like that. I don't even think you necessarily need to bowl for those six overs on the fourth evening. I know I'm in a minority of one. Everyone says, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I, what I would say, it was great for the game. It's brilliant for the game of, of cricket, what happened today. It's, it's great for West Indies cricket that they've come back and won. But if you're being really hard-nosed, if, if you're the England captain who has to sort of, you know, drive home and think about a defeat in a test match, England had the chance not to lose the game. And, and actually, if they had got 360, 370 on the board, batted the last eight overs out and thrashed it around, Wokes was, was going well. If they had done that, they might actually have had a, a better chance of winning the game because... It's, it's not so easy to block out for a draw when you've got something to, to aim at, something to go for, and also then you put the pressure back on the opposition as well. And then you know, Mo and Ali was a, you know, essentially was supposed to be a key player on the on the last day. Then you sort of couldn't really bowl him for a bit because he was going around the park. You've got lots of runs on the board. You, you've got that freedom to have men up, and even if they do attack him, you, you know he can still keep bowling. Not that he bowled particularly well on the final day. Anyway, that's my take on it. Um, you know, everyone will have their view. Uh, traditionally, I think in Test Match Cricket, you sort, of, you sort of grind the opposition down. It made a great last day, but if you're being hard-nosed, don't think it was the right thing to do. In fact, what I would have done, I would have batted to the close of play, and then I would have declared it 10 to 11. OK. Well, that is really hard-nosed, I must admit. That's a, well, you know, I, I guess that's a, that's a, a decent argument. It would have well, still well given Test Cricket is hard-nosed. I mean, Shannon Gabriel's yeah. running in at 90 miles an hour, hurling a you know, hard no, leather no. ball down at you. Sure, sure. I, I'm not sort of saying that it's not hard-nosed. What I'm saying is I think that England would have needed that bit of extra time to bowl West Indies out because this pitch has a... a it's an incredible... It, you know, Headingley's produced so many fantastic games of cricket and... It's incredible ability, this pitch, to go to sleep and then come alive again. And it's completely unpredictable. It's like sort of intermittent sleep in the night. It's like suddenly waking up 
at odd times and then dozing off again. And you can't predict when that's going to be. And today, the fifth day pitch, you know, with a number of sort of little indentations in it and the rough and so on and the ball kind of coming off at slightly uneven levels and paces, I just thought, wow. They've got to bowl them out. Jimmy Anderson looking for his 500th wicket. I thought I was going to actually make a prediction. I was going to say, what time will Jimmy Anderson get his 500th wicket today? 1.47. And I've been OK, actually, with predictions. Luckily, I didn't say that today because he didn't get any wickets at all. And who would have predicted that? I, I thought today Jimmy Anderson bowled something like 24 overs, naught for 71. I don't think you could have bowled any better than he bowled. He bowled immaculately and he didn't get a single wicket and conceded three and over. And in the end, I think we go back to the excellence of the West Indies batting. I don't think that I've seen an innings in the last 10 years that had as much composure as well as skill and that, as, as that innings by Shy Hope. Well, in both innings, really. The first man ever, I mean, this is incredible, is it? The first man ever to score 100 in both innings of a first-class match at Heading. And this was the 534th innings. I mean, that is a, is a stunning no, statistic. 534th match. Match, sorry, yeah, match. I mean, that's a stunning statistic. He's 23 years of age. People were talking about him before this series as being one of the, the bright hopes of, of West Indian bright cricket. Li- yeah. Literally one of the bright hopes of, of West yeah. Indian cricket. Um, did you see enough to think he could be a big star in the game? Yes, the, totally. There were times when not only the defence that, that was really impressive and the, the temperament and the, the composure and the, the way of... The awareness of knowing that even towards the end there, he didn't get tempted to play rash shots. He still just picked up his runs in his very methodical but attractive way. But there were times also when he played flamboyant shots. There were times we compared him to... There was a Gordon Greenwich-type square cut off Jimmy Anderson who very rarely gets square cut, and he flashed one back with a point sort of this afternoon. There was a, a pull shot that he played, which was also quite Gordon Greenwich-like, where he goes up on one leg and sort of flips it off his hip, very Caribbean-like, which was which is gorgeous to sh- shot to watch. Michael Vaughan uh, equated a, a couple of uh, turns off his legs to Raoul Dravid. So there, there was lots of you know lovely shots to go with that dedication to the crease. What about England's performance? I mean, West Indies were brilliant. They're, they're, you know, they, they're, they bowled well on the first day. They bowled the channel. They didn't give. There weren't many freebies on leg stump, as we saw at Edgbaston when it was just too easy for England. They, they batted with a great deal of composure and skill and, and mental strength. What about England's performance in the game? Uh, we might look, look at a, f- a few individuals. The Ashes are coming up. Uh, you know, there's still one more Test match to come in this series. The Ashes are coming up. Inevitably, we, we look forward at this stage of the season, especially when there's an Ashes series coming up. What about Tom Wesley's position in this England side? Very vulnerable. Bad shot in both innings. Pinned LBW first innings. Second innings driving at a wide ball outside off stump. And we said all along it's a difficult place to play the drive until you're well in, until the, unless the ball is really full. And he w- went chasing one. Uh, and I, I felt even just before he was out, there was that run-out mix-up with Mark Stoneman, where both people ended up at the same end. Obviously, that can happen, and he got away with it because the the bowler missed the stumps. But I just felt there were times when, throughout his performance in both these last two test matches, when he just looked ill at ease, uh, just just didn't look right for test cricket. I'm sure he's a talented player. I'm sure he's uh, at the right age, the right stage of his career, but he feel I feel like he's got too many flaws in his game in this particular season anyway to to back him anymore. 
But on the, the, the plus side, Mark Stoneman, we, we thought he looked a solid player, and he certainly produced that in the second innings. Yeah, I thought he was great. Uh, I think of all the opening batsmen, and Alistair Cook's had 12 partners now since Andrew Strauss retired. I think of all of them, apart from maybe Michael Carberry, I think he looks the best. He looks very sound in defence. He looks compact. He Okay, so he's had a couple of good balls, actually, to get him out. One at Edgbaston and one in the second innings here. First innings here played a fairly loose drive. But I just think he, he knows his game well. He looked very competent. He played the ball quite late. He looked relaxed at the crease. I don't think he's the greatest fielder. But that's not to be held against him. I thought he played really nicely. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I've, I've seen him play before, and I've always thought he was, he was a solid opener and that he's, you know, he's got something. And he, he showed in that second innings, you know, you'd love to have seen him go on and make a, a really big score. But, you know, so far, so good as far as Mark Stoneman's concerned. And he's probably, you know, one test away. He's one you know, decent test. We might be already inked in for the Ashes, but you know, one decent test away from definitely being on the, the plane for Australia. Davin Milan's an interesting one, isn't he? Because yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he, he got he had some huge amount of luck. He was... On four, he nicked one to the keeper, and no one really appealed. Then he was dropped. But 61 in four hours and 53 minutes, all, almost like playing homage to Geoffrey Boycott here at well, Headingley. I, I thought of another person, actually, who he reminded me of, funnily enough, and that's not Geoffrey Boycott. Chris Taveray. Chris Taveray famously played very, very stolid innings for England in the 1980s, and everyone said he was a blocker. Actually, he was a very fluent batsman. He played beautiful shots, quite a lot of them off my bowling, which I know probably isn't that hard, but he was a, a really quite aggressive batsman who had lovely timing, creamed the ball through the offside, pulled shots, clips, very, very fast-scoring, fluent batsman in county cricket, but he applied himself in test cricket. He played a particular role, which was a sort of stonewaller, and uh, other players, you know, the Gows and the Bothams and the Lambs and people like that played around him, and it worked really well. And I wonder whether David Milan could do that sort of role. He is naturally a stroke player, and obviously he showed that with his innings in the T20 against the South Africans. Brilliant innings. But... He also showed he could play another another role, and I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I mean, some people are saying, well, it was a you know, horrible, ugly innings, but what it did do, of course, is it, it wore down the West Indies' attack, tired yeah. out their bowlers, so that then England got all these stroke makers coming Absolutely. in six, seven, eight. Moen came out and flashed it around, played superbly. I mean, some of those some of those shots were divine, but in a way, it was set up by Milan because the fact they just didn't have any ammunition left when those players came in. And uh, he's someone who I think, uh, I've watched him play a fair bit for Middlesex and I've always admired his style and, and you know ability and timing and all that. But I've always thought he was a bit susceptible to playing a loose shot. Mm. It's, oh, he'll get himself out. And he has done that quite a lot. So if he can just overcome that tendency, which I, he, he, he pretty much did... In this test match, he was dropped once playing that loose drive outside off stump. But after that, he kind of went back into his shell and, you know, sort of batted with a great deal of abstinence. I think he's got something. And, and they need somebody to stay in because they've got all these incredible stroke players down the order. But they just need a solid base to work from. And he offered that. Chris Wokes came back into the England side in this test match. Toby Rowland-Jones has done nothing wrong, but they wanted Wokes back in. Was he short of a gallop for you? Yeah, a little bit. And it's funny bowling. He's done all the fitness work. He's done all the rehab. He's played a match for Warwickshire against Middlesex. He looked pretty good. He's bowled a few overs here. But you just don't click 
as a bowler until you've got a few more overs under your belt in match conditions. And you, you, almost as if you don't slip yourself quite. You're just not quite confident. You just don't quite find that rhythm. He hasn't still got it yet. But I'd, I'd play him, actually, at, at Lords. He just needs to play more cricket. He's also probably the best number nine in the world. And Toby Rowland-Jones, we know about him. We know what he can do in test cricket. He's there absolutely as a sort of, if you like, a first reserve. I, I think Chris Wokes, what he achieved last year, should be t- invested in time-wise and, and, and given the next test. If it's a very dry Lords pitch, any thought of playing a two spinners they did last time didn't they Liam Dawson took some wickets and uh, Moen Ali took some wickets against South Africa and go back to that policy of playing four pace bowlers and and two spinners again as we saw at the start of the summer or do you think that's been abandoned now and actually if they did make a change and and brought in a spinner it would be three and and two although you know the series is in the balance now the series is in the balance and that'll uh, that'll play against the plans to give Mason Crane an obvious debut if it was 2-0 up, England could afford to do that. Now, I don't think they can. The, the other thing that just worries me about Mason Green is he just hasn't had much bowling lately. Mm-hmm. He's been out there in the middle, uh, headingly on the side netting, just bowling and bowling and bowling to what looks like a large handkerchief on the, on the middle and obviously bowling in the nets a bit. But it's not the same as match practice. He hasn't had a great season for Hampshire. I, I would just be a little bit worried throwing him into a test match at this stage because... I just think he's not quite ready. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't, shouldn't take him to the ashes. I think they definitely should because he's got something about him. But talking to uh, the players around the country, umpires, I mean, Nick Cook has been here at this test match uh, who is a first-class umpire and has seen Mason Crane bowl a fair bit. And he's a spinner who played for England, Nick, and he just says he doesn't think he's ready yet either. Uh, he's a little bit at the moment too sort of impetuous to try things and and not necessarily quite sure of his game. Uh, so I think that the the, fun, the 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 climax of this little mini series to throw Mason Crane in there would be a little bit unfair actually. Well, England have got a series to win. Uh, we, we've talked in the past about their their vulnerability, and I think I've probably said on this podcast here in the summer that you know these defeats as happened at Trentbridge are going to continue because this is not a perfect side it's a, it's a good it's a goodish England side with some exceptionally good players in it but it's not a strong really strong all-round team not by any means yet no because the, principally because the batting isn't quite there is it it's, it's evolving and there's good signs but we aren't yet quite sure about one or two players. And the bowling, without Chris Wokes at his best, just looks a little bit vulnerable. Moen is still a little bit inconsistent. He didn't bowl that well in this test match, I thought, compared to a couple of the other ones earlier in the summer. Headingley is not an easy place for spinners in, in mitigation. But, yeah, you're right. And, you know, odd things like in this test match, you know, Ben Stokes dropping a catch and things. That, that, and Alistair Cook dropping two catches... Sort of, so there was some strange stuff that that didn't all. They're not quite slotting together still. Well, it was it was a crazy test match, this heading yeah. test match. But it, it often produces these remarkable games of cricket. There was an amazing game between England and Sri Lanka a couple of years ago when Jimmy Anderson was out for the penultimate ball of the match, and Angelo Matthews played one of the great test innings, 160. And you know you can go back in history and in time. And been, heading is a, a fantastic venue, and it's produced another incredible test match. And after the break, we're going to hear from West Indies batting coach Toby Radford, and he'll give us one of the secrets of West Indies victory.
Welcome back. Amazing victory for West Indies. And let's focus a bit more on what they've achieved here. 19 wickets in a day at Edgbaston on the final day there. Final day here, well over 300 runs, only five wickets and a, and a brilliant victory. And you've been talking to their batting coach. I mean, what it must it have been like for him you know, to go away from Edgbaston after seeing his team lose 19 wickets on the last day? And that amazing change around the way. They batted really well on the first thing, scoring over 400, and to come out and score over 300 on the final day here. I mean, inc incredible turnaround for him as well. Totally. Toby Radford is the, the West Indies batting coach. Actually, I, I played with him at Middlesex for a couple of years. He was a bit of a stolid sort of batsman, but he was a keen thinker about the game. In fact, his son, father was a journalist, and so we always talked quite deeply about cricket. And I always felt that he, he, under, he understood, he just, a bit like me, he understood the game well, but he, he just couldn't apply some of his knowledge that effectively. Uh, but he's found his way after coaching one or two counties and, and working with one or two countries as well, he's found his way into the job as West Indies batting coach, which sounds a bit like a, a sort of poison chalice in a way, with, given West Indies performances over the years. But, well, he, he's obviously worked effectively with them on this tour. Obviously, he hasn't had international experience, but there is a trend now for coaches to be more often players who haven't had international experience, and everyone's sort of rather questioning whether they had the ability. Well, he's proved that he has been able to transform this team. But what was interesting about the way he transformed the team was actually that the weather in Leeds really had an influence, and he'll talk about that. But first, I asked him what was the feeling like of actually winning that dramatic game. Oh, I'm so pleased for them, you know, and obviously we, we really didn't put up a good show in Edgebaston and we got written off by a lot of people. And I think it hurt a lot of players and it hurt us because we, we know we could play better than we did last week and to go and play like that and win, you know, beat England in England a great against a quality attack is just fantastic. I'm How so does it feel for, for you in a way, because obviously you're English <laughs> and you've played you know, most of your life in England or coaching in England. Yeah. And, and what, what does it feel to, to you to, to beat England? Um, I don't really think of it that way. I just, you know, I've worked with the West Indies on and off for five years. I've known these lads for a long time. They're a great bunch of guys. They work very hard. They're talented and just so pleased for them to do well. And whoever we beat, to be honest, I'm pleased for them. And uh, it was a great game of cricket and even the neutral. I mean, the neutral would have loved that as a test match. It was a fantastic game. Tell us about the, the preparation for this game because it, you said to me that, in a way, the, the, the odd thing was that the rain that stopped you from practicing outdoors was almost an advantage. I think it worked a little bit for us. I mean, what we realised at Edgebaston was that they um, they targeted the stumps and they brought the ball back in and we had a lot of LBWs and a lot of bowls and we talked after that game about potentially having to change our guards a little bit and just tinker a bit with technique. And, and when we came here for the first day's training and it was, and it was heavy rain, uh, we ended up in, indoors um, and the bowling machines were fantastic because I was able to set them up in a way that sort of replicated the type of swing and pace of, of Jimmy Anderson and, and likewise for Broad. And, um, and players could then try and work out how they were going to stand, what guards they were going to take, if they were going to bat out of the crease or in the crease or whatever, and um, you know, and, and hopefully those type of things paid off. Um, you know, we we've scored three centuries in '96. I thought Craig Bathwick played brilliantly. I wish he got another hundred himself as well. But you know, delighted the guys stood up. And when you play England, it's such a, a fight to bat against quality bowling like that. You know, they pass the bat, you get a little nick here. You know, you, you're never in, and you've got to really fight. And I was so pleased. You know, Shea and uh, Craig, fantastic. Shea Hope. You know, has scored something which has never been achieved in 534 games here at Headingley, mm. two centuries in a match. Mm. Even our own boycott didn't manage it. 
yet he stays so calm. Yeah. Is that something that's just been through his character that you've seen throughout? In the time I've known him, that's always how he's been. He's, um, he's a good thinker of the game. He's, he's a hard practiser. Um, and he's always found a way. I mean, we, we played Afghanistan a couple of months ago and they had a fantastic leg spinner, Rashid Khan, and a lot of guys struggled and he went away and he, and he found a way of combating him, probably the only batter who did. So he's, he's a good thing from the game, comes up with solutions and uh, that's why I think he's going to be a top, top class player. He, he doesn't have to achieve any more in life. I mean, you know, that <laughs> two, those two innings against that class of attack and winning that game in that situation, I, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? No, it wasn't. And, and as you said, I think his temperament is fantastic. He kept calm. I mean, even when you know we're playing one or two rush shots down the other end, he just he just went about his game. He took there he goes past you. There now. he goes. Yeah, great innings. Uh, he was just so calm and took the innings deep, which was always our plan today. We said, look, bat session by session. You know, if we can stick in and around three and over, we'll be somewhere there at the end of the day and try and keep wickets in hand. And um, you know, he's he's pretty much batted through there. Uh, wonderful, wonderful effort. What's it like for you as a coach? You know, when you're you're not playing anymore and you're there as a coach, you've sort of tried to give these guys guidance, but in the end, yeah. you've got no control. No, and you know, you as a coach, you take the, the, the rough days with the smooth. I mean, last week at Edgebaston was, you know, I was almost suicidal. We lost 19 wickets in the day, and you feel awful. And you'd, you'd love to be out there helping your car, and the ball's zipping around, and we played some bad shots, and we get knocked over by a good side. But then today's the complete opposite end. You've, you know, you look back on this five days, you've scored virtually 400s, you've put a lot of runs on the board, and, and you've beaten England in England, which is a great achievement, I think. So I think we'll all, uh, we'll all have a couple of beers and really enjoy tonight, and then look forward to the, uh, what will be a decider then at Lords. So that's Toby Radford, the West Indies batting coach, English, of course. And I, I just like the way that he used the facilities here uh, in terms of sort of going into the indoor school at the back there and directing the bowling machine. And I think, funnily enough, I thought for a while that uh, using the sidearm, which a lot of teams do, isn't a very precise way of practising your batting. It, it's become a very trendy thing to do, those things that look like the, the, the sticks that you throw tennis balls for dogs to practice your batting. And certainly they save the coach's arm a lot because they can propel a ball much quicker without much effort. But I've always felt they were not, not that precise. And a bowling machine, which clearly Toby set for specific bowlers and lots and lots of repetition, really helped. And by the way, we haven't mentioned, although we've talked a lot about Shea Hope, we haven't talked about Craig Brathwaite, who, in a way, set this performance up by, in the same way as David Milan did for, for England, just drawing the bowlers' sting, staying in for a long time. I think he batted sort of eight hours in the first innings and probably about five hours in the second innings. So he, he's been out there sticking it out in not a particularly attractive way, but in a very effective way, just stepping back onto his stumps and resisting everything that... England could throw at him and nearly getting the 200s in the match himself. And that was all due to the drilling that he did with Toby Radford in the nets. He batted in all for around about 150 overs in the match, which is, which is pretty good going. 134 in the first innings and 95. We were just poised to sort of, you know, crown him with the, you know, the first person to score 200s in a first-class match at Headingley. And then he got out to Moen Alley, but uh, Shea Hope uh, did that instead. Now, one test match to go. We're going to write the West Indies off for, for Lords. I mean, England's surely still favourites. They can just get their game together. Definitely. Obviously, the West Indies will have a, a huge amount of, of, of positive vibes from this uh, incredible game. But the, the fact is, Lords is a difficult place to bat, especially if you've got bowlers of the, the sort of precision engineering quality of, of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. 
I, I think they're both very good at exploiting Lord's conditions. I guess a little bit will depend on the pitch, yeah. but if it has anything in it for the bowlers, I would hope that England could exploit it. Having said that, the, you know the West Indies actually outbowled England a bit in, the, in this game as well. They bowled Shannon Gabriel, added a, a, a real bit of zest to their to their opening attack. Kemar Roach was disciplined, and actually, in a way, one of the things that Toby Radford said to me before we chatted was that he felt the bowlers actually set the game up for West Indies because they were much more disciplined on the first yeah. day and didn't let England get away, whereas they had done it at Edgbaston a bit. And that sort of, in a way, kind of started to get the team believing in themselves a bit more, that they were going to at least make a game of it and fight. And Shannon Gabriel, Kemal Roach and Jason Holder are quite a decent three-pronged attack, but they haven't got much of a spinner. Mm. I mean, I wonder how much they were still believing when England were you know, scoring all these runs in the second inning, you know, come half past five, quarter to six on the fourth evening. Anyway, that, we, we've discussed that already and whether England should have declared. Everyone else, apart from me, said they, yeah. they should have declared. I'm, I'm not so convinced. Let's end with our Royal London Player of the Week. And I don't think there's any doubt who it is. It's got to be Shea Hope. And we, we thought, of course, it was going to be Jimmy Anderson. I was all set up to interview him and say congratulations on your 500th wicket, which you took at 1.47 this afternoon, <laughs> and he didn't get one. And, and Shea Hope has scored 200 in a match at Headingley on a typically capricious Headingley pitch against the excellence of England's seam attack and seen his team to victory as well. He's achieved what... Obviously, Jeffrey Boycott's never done. People said, "What Boycott? You never made two hundreds at Headingley." Well, of course, the reason is no time. Didn't, they didn't have six-day first-class <laughs> games, did they? No, exactly, exactly. Right. Let's move on to our, our low light of the week. Now, so we've got two low lights. I mean, one is your appalling performance in the TMS sixty game, where what was it? One off eight balls. I had you out LBW first ball, and James Taylor didn't give I, you out. I, he said it was because of your first ball. He would have given you out. Well, it was you know, absolutely plum. If it hadn't been you bowling. I would have walked for that. But because it was you bowling, there's no way I was going, even though it was up on the big screen, as clear as day, plum LBW. But I'm not walking for you, LBW, sorry. But in actual fact, I wish I had, because my batting got worse from there on. And then there was your bowling as well, which we won't talk about. What about my onion? Now, that was good. That was very good, bowling the onion, yeah. I bowled bowled an onion to Michael Ball, which, of course, he thought was a ball, and it just exploded. And uh, As many people have said, it was the the only dot ball I I produced. It was at least my highlight of the game. Of course, I come here after trying to put my 57-year-old body through an attempt at bowling and and batting, and it was pretty lamentable. And somebody comes up to me on the periphery here at, at Headingley and says, well, that was a... Shocking effort by you, Simon, in that TMS game. And I said, well, I shouldn't have been playing, really. And he went, well, you shouldn't have been playing when you were playing. <laughs> that was it. Nice, isn't it? Yeah, they're lovely up here. Great line, though. Great. Well, yeah, but as he looked at my record at Headingley, the number of times I got Bill at the LBW, well, at least three. OK, no, enough of that, enough of that. But a more serious low light, the, the finding of, of players for, for swearing on the pitch, uh, Ben Stokes got a demerit point, and so did West Indies captain Jason Holder as well. They are going to look at it at the ICC, but, but you want the best players playing. And if they, unless they're really going at another player, which, which case the umpires and the match referee you know, do need to stay, step in, but it wasn't the case in, in this match, was it? I've got two words to say about that. Effing rubbish. And it's just, I don't understand it. And it, it seems so odd, coming from David Boone, who had practically Tourette's syndrome himself yeah. on the field. The, key, the skill that, Bo- that Boone had, by the way, 
uh, fielding at short leg and sledging every batsman under the sun was that he had a big walrus moustache and a beard and he was very I think he was quite good at, at projecting his voice and nobody knew that when he, this, this, these words came out that it was actually him because you couldn't see his lips moving at all it was just all this sort of like that and um that's what they need to do, these players. Ben Stokes need to get a lot get of facial lot, hair. Big bushy beard, like WG Grace. Yeah, big bushy beard. And, and then at least we can't necessarily be sure that it was actually him swearing. I think it's ridiculous. I, I mean, can't, can't we show a bit of a passion, a bit of emotion on the field? If you go up to someone and absolutely, you know, call them everything under the sun, then I can understand why you would, you know, legislate against that. But when players are trying to expend a bit of frustration and they might offer the odd expletive, I mean, everybody swears these days anyway. I don't see what's the problem. Well, my mum doesn't, but I know what you mean. Well, well, I mean, my mum doesn't either, but my ex-wife does, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. Mainly at me. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Highlight of the week, well, we're going to end where we started really fantastic for, for West Indies to win a test match in England for the first time for 17 years do you mean you're not going to claim your winning runs in the TMS 60 game where you toe-ended toughers through, through extra to win the match <laughs> you're not going to claim that it was not a toe-ender it came almost out of the middle of the bat I've just hit an England left arm spinner through the covers for four <laughs> runs well that was my highlight of the week but also I mean come here to heading the end for West Indies to win and no one I mean no one gave them a chance did they really no one gave them a chance we thought it was going to be another three-day. We, you know, we all checked out of the hotel practically by uh, Sunday, Sunday evening, and here we still are on Tuesday. Seeing West Indies, maybe a bit of a rebirth. It's, it's, it's great to see. Absolutely. Well, let's hope so. That's it for this week. You can also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe, and please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd like to know what you think. So next week we'll look ahead to the, the Lord's Test Match, the final Test Match of the summer, and it's all set up really well. It is, and sorry for the Tuesday release of this one, but next week it'll be on Monday. Look forward to speaking to you then. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.